One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Trish, I've got an afternoon secret. Is it afternoon delight? Is that what, what you're talking, talking about, about now? <laughs> you don't know what that is. It's rude with you. It's a always, euphemism. It? It's a euphemism. It's no, tell me your after, you. tell me your afternoon secret. Well, it's a guilty secret, but I mean, mm. I hate that phrase, guilty secret, because I don't really feel guilty about anything. But I feel slightly guilty about keeping it a secret. <laughs> so, oh. what happens well, is tell around the world, tell the world. I'm going to tell everyone. Yeah, no one listens. It'll be fine. Around four-ish during these lockdown days, mm. uh, when I'm jiggling and juggling everything. I go upstairs for some time on my own and I go into the bathroom. And then the other day it crossed my mind that I would, I'll just have a bath while I'm up there at four o'clock in the afternoon. And it just hey. felt quite, I just felt bad. Doing Ooh, quite it. decadent, quite decadent. But you know, you know what my afternoon guilty secret, it's, uh, and I'm going to be doing it after we finish recording this actually. Not that cat, is it? <laughs> no, she might come and sit with me uh, when this is happening. I like to watch Escape to the Country. It's, <laughs> Well, I'm fantasise. Clock in the afternoon, daytime, daytime TV. Never like done it in my life. Maternity leave. <laughs> exactly, and now I'm addicted. Do you know what though? Other people have got these afternoon mm. secrets. So my friend Vic has started painting by numbers. <gasps> really? She goes quietly into a room where none of her, but she lives with all these men because she had sons, and she does a little bit of quiet, very therapeutic painting. Oh. And then my other friend, whose name I cannot mention because she would be horrified. I was just telling. <laughs> people listening to us she's taken up needlepoint like embroidery cross stitch well I had to have it explained I don't know what needlepoint (laughs) is it sounded really violent to me needlepoint needlepoint very Bridgerton very Jane Austen I'd say Hello. hello welcome to postcards from midlife I'm Lorraine Candy I'm Trish Halpin and we're on a mission to help you make the most of your magnificent midlife. We'll be tackling everything from mind and body wellness to HRT and your sex drive. Lorraine and I are here to help you have a stylish second act and answer all your midlife questions on fashion, beauty, careers, relationships, family, and as always, the challenges and joys of parenting teens. Okay, ladies, let's get information, as Beyonce would say. Today on Postcards from Midlife, we're going to give your career and your wardrobe a swift spring clean. Indeed, we are. We'll be talking to successful entrepreneur Michelle Feeney, a self-made businesswoman whose Midas touch has revolutionised some of the world's biggest brands and She's going to be telling us how to stay focused and motivated in our careers and also sharing her own advice on being fearless and explaining why she stepped out of her high-flying role in midlife for a career reset. Yes. Well, I first met Michelle in a nightclub in New York, Trish. <laughs> of course you did. Of course you did. <laughs> she's led a real roller coaster of a life. So I'm really looking forward to hearing what she's got to say about her midlife. We will also be spring cleaning your wardrobe later in our How to Win at Midlife part of the show. Which easy to wear spring fashion trends will suit you, I wonder? Well, don't worry, because with decades of deciphering fashion trends from the catwalk between us as glossy magazine editors, we've got you covered. Yes, we'll have some high street shopping recommendations based on this season's new looks and we can explain how to fit your new buys in with what you've already got so it's time to finally get excited about fashion again isn't it Lorraine because it looks like we'll be able to get out and about in normal clothes fairly soon well I'm certainly looking forward to lockdown easing off and being able to 
dress up as my full ridiculous self, as I like to say, <laughs> rather than just slipping on a jazzy blouse, mm. as you like to say, for mm. Zoom. <laughs> and on that note, while I do love spending every waking minute of the day with my other half, James, in lockdown, I think we could all benefit from a bit of absence makes the heart grow fonder, don't you, Trish? Oh, God, yes, definitely. So our jibber-jabber this week is a romp through the good, the bad and the ugly parts of being cooped up <laughs> with our partners for more than a year. So what have we learnt about them and ourselves? What will we do differently now we know this and which moments in particular made us question those together forever vows we made when we first got married yeah well this is going to be quite a juicy one i think we've had some fun threads on this on our facebook page which kind of prompted us to think about relationships and what they mean in midlife we did indeed so thank you once again to our lovely facebook community i hope you are enjoying our weekly live interviews on instagram as well that we've been doing and if you haven't joined us yet do come to the postcards from midlife facebook group and instagram pages where experts from every area of life will be there to guide you yes it's a very great very supportive community and i don't really think there's anything else like postcards from midlife out there so make the most of it it's what we're here for anyway on with the show agent halpen we've got quite a lot to get through now Trish, something I read this week completely knocked me sideways. It sort of took the wind out of my emotional sails, as Mm. they say. The ever-so-stylish 100-year-old fashionista Iris Apfel, who I follow on social media, put a tribute up to her late husband on Instagram. So she's 100. And in the tribute, she said, we were together forever for 68 years, then poof, it was over. Mm. This is what made me think. So while <laughs> while we're comfortable in our place mm. with our partners now, it was a real reminder for me that it could and it will just end overnight. Now, it's a midlife learning and I'm not drifting off into the old melancholy side of the street here. I'm more about taking a moment to appreciate what I've got and to think about how lucky we are in this moment to be in our long-term relationships. It really made me stop and think. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess lockdown has really shone a spotlight, hasn't it, on our partners for good and bad, for some of us, the good, some for not so good. And it's kind of magnified the similarities and the difference we all have with those we've chosen to be in a family with and stay with for this one precious life, as the poet Mary Oliver once wrote. Well, I never thought I'd hear you (laughs) quoting poetry out loud, Trish, but you are right. It is the one precious life. Um, And what have we discovered, I wonder, during this lockdown time with our one precious partners? (laughs) When I looked at our Facebook group, who often talk about relationships, it really made me laugh because Mm. they are really quite a few grumpy men on Facebook. Mm -hmm. There's a a wife calling her man the Gruffalo at the moment. (laughs) There was a, a woman who said that she's still getting over her husband referring to the Hoover as your hoover in lockdown um, as in i have put your hoover away for you (laughs) (laughs) oh no (laughs) and another one wrote um please tell me that not all men turn grumpy when they reach middle age she went on to say that in lockdown she refused to go on a walk with her husband because he berates anybody who won't walk in single file and she added he says he married me because of my positivity but it's quite hard being positive when you're married to victor meldrew (laughs) I think for some women, they might be wondering if their husbands have have slipped into the the male menopause at this time because the the grumpiness, um, you know, we we know what it's like, don't we? The kind of rages and the the mood swings. But I'm not sure if you know about this, Lorraine, and how the male, so-called male menopause works, but it's it's nothing like ours. It really isn't. I mean, they they have a drop in testosterone, yes, but it's a kind of gradual 1% a year, apparently, from about the age of 40. Mm. So it's this kind of slow, gradual... 
bad. decline. And obviously some of them get a bit grumpy along the way just because they're grumpy maybe. But um, it's nothing like that sort of massive fall no. off that we get. So it's not really likely to be that. So if anybody's no. out there thinking he's got the male menopause, he really probably hasn't. Well, that, that kind of answers and doesn't answer the grumpy question. There mm. was another lady who um, I would describe her as murderous on the... <laughs> on Facebook and it was quite a long rant and she said I have noticed in lockdown that my husband absents himself from all decision making around meals I can see mm, this is making oh you twitch God, a bit yes, Trish because yeah. Neil has the opposite mm. problem he's very involved isn't he we'll talk about mm. that in a minute anyway this lady said on Facebook I've put my foot down and asked for more help and he has now started to announce I've done such and such for you oh, <laughs> which is no wonder he's breezing through the day cool mm. as a cucumber so we mm. have been in lockdown long enough haven't we mm. um, and it's a good job that we're all about to be freed spend <laughs> some time away from our <laughs> other halves now Trish if I was to lock you in a room with Neil again oh, for some God. considerable time what have you learnt and what would you do what have I learnt well I have to say thankfully sort of second time around lockdown Neil has been going into work um so we have had a bit of a breather from each other so he's a photographer yeah exactly um but first time round, I suppose it is that thing you're getting to see all the good bits and the bad bits in high it's almost like in high definition which you yeah. haven't done for donkey's years and I mean as you know Neil is super high energy super positive very opposite to the the Mr Grumpies and he would do anything for anyone he's helpful he's practical he fixes everything great sense of fun and adventure but just want to say that sometimes (laughs) endless positivity can be just as annoying as the victim elders of this world and I think you know I think it was the stuff about laughing all the time when there are things that need to be taken seriously and not picking up cues it's like the kids now just sit there at the dinner table going read the signals dad read the signals You know, one of them is sort of a bit grumpy or, you know, a bit quiet or I might be. And he just doesn't pick up on those kinds. It's that emotional intelligence, isn't it? And it's because he yeah. wants everything to be fine all the time. And it's like, do you know what? Sometimes it's just fine <laughs> to be quiet. But yeah, what about you and James? What well, it's hard discovered? to make that space, isn't it? Away hmm. from someone in a house with, you know, we've got the kids, all the children here as well. I guess the negative things I've noticed, which I didn't know before, is he's hmm. he's got a kind of incessant tidying up gene which is i do not have that that does drive me absolutely mad he has a very loud zoom voice which mm. is fine when he you're in an office isn't it but it's not bellowing that, bellowing oh it's somehow mm. i don't know it's not just the voice it sort of feels like a massive self-importance i know it's not mm. but it feels like that and i've realized that he isn't me so he's the absolute mm. like neil opposite of me which is kind of a good thing he takes a very long time to explain things which drives me absolutely <laughs> mad also he has no interest in gossip it's terrible oh. you know that thing where you exchange a chat yes. over the so he doesn't really know how whatsapp works he puts instructions on it he doesn't put any Oh, humor on it. Okay. <laughs> you married him for a reason. Come I on. know, but the good what, things what are the good things. Come on. Extremely calm and very, very patient, mm. which has been amazing for the homeschooling, actually. He does actually like to do all those boring things I don't like to do. Mm. So I feel guilty and think, oh dear, he's doing all that boring Do you money call stuff. it his hoover then? Is it his hoover? No, but <laughs> no. <laughs> it's still a kind of default setting mm. that certain things are oh, without for, any for communication. Mm. Um, there's a very good book called Fair Play by a Harvard lawyer called Eve. Rodsky and it's about this 
I suppose you call it emotional labor, but it's really about expectations. So mm-hmm. when you have in close contact with someone all the time, you there are three ways of doing something. You have the concept of doing it, the planning of it, and the ex- executing of it. So what happens often with men, and it is a gendered book, and it's very specifically about the difference between men and women, is men are brilliant at the execution. Mm-hmm. So they will say, I have gone and bought such and such bread because you wanted bread this morning. But what they haven't done has been in the kind of concept and planning Mm. stage of this. So they won't know that it's actually got to be gluten-free bread because your eldest is allergic to it. So they're thinking, why is she not giving me all this praise for doing all this shopping? And then you're thinking, oh, my God, it's so simple. Why can't you just get gluten-free bread? So often one partner won't take full responsibility for Mm. concept planning and execution. And actually that's what women want. They want full responsibility. Mm -hmm. And then you're not doing it for someone. You're doing it because it needs to be done. So that's kind of about communication. I think it's about systems and habits. And Mm. if we go into lockdown ever again, I think it would be good to set those systems and habits up in advance and say, right, you do this, I do this. But you do it all the way from beginning to end. You don't Mm -hmm. just pick up and wait for instructions. But I've been doing a bit of things differently. So this mm-hmm. sort of second or four millionth lockdown on this one, I've been trying to show a bit of gratitude. Good. Yeah. You don't normally do that. Saying you don't normally do that you. in speed of your day. I've been doing some done. check-ins. Are you mm-hmm. feeling okay? How did you sleep? That kind of thing. I've learned to pick my battles around what they call the hot button issues. So I don't say you're not doing it for me. I just think it's done. I won't pick a yep. battle about that. I will move on. So I think we've learned quite a lot, haven't we, mm. about it? And I think the opposite personality is really interesting. That's worked quite well mm-hmm. in, in a way because we haven't killed each other, have we? Yeah. <laughs> We're all still alive. We We're all still alive. And did you know that there are actually seven things you need for a healthy relationship? Tell One, me. Owning your happiness. You can't expect your yes. partner to be responsible for your happiness. That. Two, honesty and transparency, which I think comes back to your, your kind of... Yeah you know communication thing compromise taking time for your own self-care number five agreeing to disagree number six showing kindness and number seven protecting your boundaries as a couple from kind of other people as well so you're this kind of united front and then you don't let people kind of come between you so I think I feel like I'm ticking off quite a few of those but um, you know I'm going to focus on some of those for the weeks to come before we're free I did read a very good thing in psychology today based on a survey last year of couples in relationships and it's not about the personalities it's about the actual relationship. So you could be wildly, massively different mm-hmm. or in extreme personalities, but it's about protecting the thing you've created together, the rituals of yeah. the relationship. If that bit's working, even though you're very, very different personalities, then that's kind of the most important bit, the rituals and the love and the care you put into the actual relationship. And that's uh, made me less melancholy. It's very cathartic, I think. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.
Now it's time to meet our special guest, Michelle Feeney. A visionary business leader, Michelle has created cult beauty products and billion-dollar brands in both the US and the UK, including Creme de la Mer, MAC, and Saint-Tropez. And it's safe to say she's shaking up the beauty industry once again with her latest venture, the sustainable vegan British fragrance brand, Floral Street. Michelle is married to Mark Neal, the managing director of Mountain Warehouse, and has two children, Harry and Emma. Welcome to Postcards from Midlife, Michelle. Thank you very much for having me. Now, we've all known each other, the three of us, haven't we, for a very long time throughout our careers. But um, before we get on to talk about your amazing career journey and success, we'd love to know where it all started. Um, Tell us about your background and where did you grow up and were you encouraged to dream big by your family in terms of your career? I guess so. I mean, I, I grew up in Birmingham. My mum's Irish and my father is of that descent. But yes, they were dreamers. You know, they both came from not very much. My mum had left a really more privileged life in Ireland to come to the UK because there was no work for her father. But my dad came from quite a humble background and they both aspired. They took risks, you know, mm-hmm. they they saw a, an ad in a paper, live in on top of a store and run a store and they took it and they moved from Birmingham to, to Coventry, mm-hmm. you know, and they just jumped in. And I think they jumped in all their life and took risks. And I think the best part about growing up in a it was an immigrant kind of community basically Mm -hmm. yeah 60s and 70s in Birmingham I did Irish dancing I play the accordion things you don't know about me Mm -hmm. but it makes you feel really secure in who you are you Mm -hmm. know Mm -hmm. and and I think it also helps you see things differently even though Irish, you wouldn't think it was a different language. It totally is, you know, the way it's constructed. And you have to join a lot of dots in there. And you have to widen your acceptance. You know, we, we grew up with Jamaicans and and Irish. And it was fabulous. So we- you learnt um, about fitting in then, I guess, didn't you? I suppose for our listeners, Gen X listeners, one of the first jobs you did was at the legendary PR agency, Lynn Franks. You're 57 now, so you're yeah. smack bang in the middle of what would have been the 80s in that kind of very ab fab era talk us through what it was like working there and what did you learn from Lynn visionary and fantastic I was a bit scared of her of course Mm -hmm. as everybody was but my first job was fashion show production with Leslie Goring and I worked for no money so I'd I'd, you know gone to Polytechnic and got on a bus and come down anyway um and so I worked for amazing women they had come out of the 60s and so they were creating new things. Yeah. And and Lynn really was a brand builder before it even had a label. And it was amazing. I mean, we drank too much all the time. I guess we should just reframe it for the for the listeners. She's basically the characters who allegedly Eddie was based on isn't she well, she's that kind. Yes. I mean there were so yeah. many women who were like that in the industry ab fab women weren't they and they were absolutely fabulous weren't they but it was based on her and us because we did the PR for French and Saunders so they used to come in on the office all the time. <laughs> so they didn't really have to write very much it was just mm. like you know taking notes and and I remember watching absolutely fabulous and thinking oh my god this is so not funny this is this is me this is what happened. There was a lot of women that were empowering other women in a kind of a go on, do it. I was 26. Mm. I was a director. I had a company car. <laughs> I was put in charge of building a beauty division with big budgets and big people. And it was all about creativity and going where no one else could go. And I think if you look at 
what was the PR industry then, and even magazines. Mm -hmm. It was the one bit of society where we could, you didn't have to have a degree, you, you just jumped and in. And women dominated. And women mm. dominated. Mm. And, and it was, and there was a lot of women we could look up to as well. You know, Eve Pollard's one of my friends, who you know, but she was the first female editor of, of a newspaper. She edited the yeah. Sunday Mirror, yeah. She gave yeah. me my first ever job at there you go. Yeah, Claudia Winkleman's mum. Yeah. yeah. It was it was women empowering women. I learned to be brave. I learned to trust ideas. Uh, well, it was I, quite I, good I, for you, wasn't it? Because you yeah. then went to New York, which was yeah. a completely different environment. You went to work for Mac in New York. And that was very, I would assume, much more cutthroat, competitive and a little bit more ruthless. And that sort of 24 hours on call working all the time. Yeah. You, had, you had a child as well, didn't you? Yeah, yeah, so yeah. To Talk us through the New York move, because that sounds ever well, more glamorous. I fell in love in London with the father of my child. He was a record producer and he had a big album to produce. And he said, do you want to come to London? So Lynn pulled me into her office and said, what do you want to go there for? You know, to New York. To yeah. Yeah. yeah, she tried to stop me. And I said, look, I'm going. I had no plan, no visa, nothing. And I I built my own company basically from scratch in New York. And, and New York was an amazing place because people would barter with you. They'd say, you can do this, I can do that. Let's swap, let's swap skills to help each other. And I I developed the products of Bumble and Bumble. That's my first client. And he gave me space above the Bumble store in the middle of Manhattan. They couldn't afford to pay me enough. So he said, look, I'll give you some space. And I built a company. I ended up running all the PR for the major nightclubs, launching Club USA, all these things. I met you in a nightclub. I remember that. <laughs> <laughs> I, think I, I think I did. And I got headhunted because of my good work. I tell you what Lynn Franks had prepared me for and London of the 80s. What Americans aren't great at is seeing things differently and ideas. Mm -hmm. um, but what they are good at is empowering you with resource to make the idea happen. Mm -hmm. So I could get away with quite a lot moving into corporate um, Estee Lauder companies. You know, I could get away with being the quirky Brits. Yeah. And then when they realized that my ideas made a lot of money for the company, they go, great, you're fantastic, here's some more. Mm -hmm. And that's what I love about America, they reward you. Mm -hmm. But I did become a single mom during that time with Harry. Hard work though, surely. Oh. I was the only person on the 42nd floor of the General Moses building, which is where I have my office, by the way, which was amazing, out overlooking Central Park. I was the only person with a child on the whole floor yeah. let alone a single mom sort of thing. So it made me really want to prove that I was better. So, you know, when there was five foot of snow outside, I used to put Harry on my back and I'd walk to work. Nobody else was in, but I would walk in and, and do the work. So I think every little bit of your life if you are open to it, prepares you for the next bit of your mm -hmm. life. By this stage in your life, you've learned how to take risks. You've learned how to build brands. You felt empowered and brave. At that point, you launched Creme de la Mer, didn't you? Which is quite yeah. an amazing story. It was an unknown brand. They had a saying at Lord, which was good work gets rewarded with more work and mm -hmm. not necessarily any more money, but more mm -hmm. work. And I'd done this great job and I'd launched the Tom Hilfiger fragrance. And the president of that brand said, we've just acquired this and it wasn't even a brand it was a pot of cream mm -hmm. owned by a scientist who had died and his daughter had taken over the business and they made it in a garage on the west coast of america and it had this small following but of 
wealthy women across America. It was really small, really small. And they acquired it for not very much money. And, and he said, what, do something with this. And I looked into the story and the story was phenomenal. And then I thought this is, it was a lot of money. It was a cream that changed the face of pricing of skincare. Yeah, it was, ex- yeah. It was I mean, just yeah. to put it in context, it was so expensive, wasn't it? Which yeah. made it really wantable, which well, seems very contrary in many ways. I know, I know, but aren't we mad as women? So, so anyway, <laughs> I thought this is a rock and roll sort of cream, but it, it needs a woman who's got a lot of disposable income. Mm-hmm. And so I did it very differently. I launched it with Town and Country magazine, which mm-hmm. Town and Country at that point, if a ring was put on a page that was $350,000, it would sell in seconds. You know, it's that mm-hmm. kind of thing. And I worked with the beauty editor and suddenly I was getting calls from Elton John. I had to create the whole idea of a waiting list in Saxon. Mm-hmm. Did Elton John want his creme de la mer? Oh, Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Brilliant. That's brilliant. So not only did you reach a man, <laughs> fame is extraordinary marketing. Mm-hmm. It's kind of, it's knowing your audience, isn't it? I mean, because you took on Mac as well and yes. turned it into the, I would say the world's biggest makeup brand at that point, and it was a billion dollar business. So what characteristics do you need as a person to do that? Because I would imagine you come up with an idea which is contrary to what is normally done. And a lot of people, Trish and I have had this in our career, mm-hmm. will say, well, that won't work then. And, and not just one person, you'll keep going into rooms where people will say, but that won't work. What's your characteristic that gets through that? You sort of have to prove that some things work before you get the full trust of it will work. Yeah. You know, you've mm-hmm. probably come across this as well. Because I had a global job, I'd get up, early to do the calls to Europe I'd fix my son breakfast I'd walk into school I'd go to the office I'd do my day of work in America time I would then go home see my son might have to go out to events then might have to do some Asia work in between all of that if I was in the bath I'd be reading the New Yorker or Women's Daily or something to get my information and it was just 24 7 but if you are at the top of anything it's like being an Olympian in your job You know, I had had Harry without any medical insurance. So I was next to a drug addict having my child Mm -hmm. who was having hers. And I was, this is never going to happen to me again. Mm -hmm. And I was prepared to work, Mm -hmm. you know, as much as it took to not be in that position ever, ever again. Mm -hmm. And were you able to own your success did you acknowledge it as women we're not always great at that and I think British women particularly I think that's a really interesting question because when you work in New York at that level you're only kind of as good as the day you've done so so you kind of have to move on quickly for me owning success means I feel I've done a good job I don't need somebody to tell me I've done a good job I do own that but I own it in in my way I've never judged myself against others that's for Mm -hmm. sure it's a disaster zone if you do that. You've earned money because yeah. you've built brands and they're massive. Yeah. I mean, I've seen your shoe cupboard and I know you love fashion. When you got your first big paycheck, what did you buy? I absolutely remember and I absolutely remember going to on Madison Avenue. I had a, a big bonus in my first job. It was as big as my paycheck for a whole year here in England at that time. I think I'm about 31 and I went into Armani and I bought myself a brand linen suit. Mm. It was summer. It was summer. Mm. I also bought, which I still have in said cupboard, a pair of brand Gucci loafers. 
It's so funny. When I got the Cosmo job, yeah. when I was early, I was 30, I think, I did, that was the first, I went to Armani on Bond Street and I bought a navy yeah. suit because it just meant coming from Cornwall and it, for some reason Armani was just that, what, what it just meant you've made it as a working woman. It what? had such a yes. working woman appeal. To, and I bought a pair of <laughs> Gucci loafers. There you go. Because <laughs> you live in this magnificent house, you've got amazing taste. I remember you telling me that I think it was one of your wardrobes was the same size as the flat that you first came yeah, to I, in I, London. I, when we moved into this house, which, you know, my husband's very successful, but there's a closet and I opened it and I went in and I put my back against the wall and I literally just burst into tears and I was like this was the size of my bed sit in Archway in 1983 and now it's my linen cupboard you know I think what we don't do as working women with children we never give ourselves that moment to look back and cry for ourselves or Mm -hmm. be happy for ourselves or, Mm -hmm. you know, be the mom that we are to our children now in a way. I am older than you guys. and I don't know if 57 is midlife, but I just am now giving myself permission literally to own that feeling really and, and look back and go bloody hell didn't you do well and that was a moment when saying owning your success that moment in the closet was kind of me saying you know yeah. you've done okay here yeah. you know yeah. how so, did you meet your husband Mark we went to a wedding separately in Florida I lived in New York uh, he lived in London I was a guest of the American bride and he was a guest of the British groom Mm-hmm. And we actually were on a plane from New York together, not seated together. And I noticed him and I thought, oh, my God, he's so British. And then we, and then we got to the wedding and we started talking and um, and that was it. And that was the start of a two year transatlantic. Nylon, isn't that what they used to call it? N Y L O N. Was it? Oh, yeah, yeah. nylon relationship. I, um, yeah. There was no way I was giving up my life. I lived in a penthouse in New York. I had my beautiful son. I had my great job. I'd lost my dad the year before that. And it had taken me time to get over that. And I just when you think I'm really happy and I'm settled, something gets dropped in, doesn't it? And that was Mark. We've now been married for nearly 20 years years you know it was great to get married at 40 it was on my fourth the day after my 40th birthday what a great mm-hmm. age to get married you had came not- back didn't you you came yeah, back to live in so did you come back for him was that the pattern or well I think I decided I had a job a very good job obviously but it was a job and he had a business he was he had started I just felt it was the right thing to do. And they transferred my big role from New York to London, which I continued to do for a while. It was very hard. I think I knew you then, and I was whinge on about Britain all the time. um, (laughs) And how I wanted to be back there. Yeah, I I think that was, um, you know, I made that decision, yeah. So I'd gone to America for a man, and I came back for a man. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, you did. How do you get on as a pair then? Because you're both running these massive businesses, Floral Street and Mountain Warehouse you know you're both kind of at the heart and soul of both of them are you competitive I I mean I might murder my husband if we both did something Uh, similar I I think it took us time to settle into those roles um, you know because like any relationship I think you misinterpret 
certain things. And he's very scientific. And so he asks a lot of questions. And I took that, I take that as really not believing in my ideas. So again, it's about my ideas and how I see things differently. And I find it very frustrating that I'm a kind of a more future thinker. And he's a very in the moment of business. But what's happened is we've really influenced each other. And I think he's my mentor and I'm his in a lot of ways. During this lockdown period, it's been really interesting because although I would like some space, you know, (laughs) I think we've seen us both really hunker down together and support each other on those big, big challenges we've had in this year. And it's been really good. So for me, you know, it's worked, I think. Mm -hmm. We're not competitive, really. But you're both running your own businesses. Um, Can you ever switch off? If one of you was running your own business, it would be hard to switch off, I imagine. But how do you guys switch off? He doesn't, actually, Mm. ever. I love my yoga. I try and creatively do other things but I cannot switch my brain off from ideas so Mm. I can't do that unless I really meditate and what I've learned is when you've got your own business I don't think it should be ever be your hobby number one Mm. because that's a bit of a disaster because you don't see things like a consumer would see them on the other hand got to really love and want to breathe it at all time. And I think what I learned in America, I loved my role at Mac and I loved working that hard mm-hmm. and I loved it consuming me, you know, and I loved the opportunities, the doors opened. And I love the fact I could involve my son, you know, my boss was a great boss, John Dempsey. And if I was working in LA, we'd bring Harry out. Of course I had nanny support. You cannot do these things. No. Any woman that pretends that they Mm. don't want help is is ridiculous. It's not helpful to pretend that. It's really unhelpful for all of us, yeah. What what I do is my life. The Lauders themselves, Evelyn and Leonard, when I was lucky enough to work close to them, they had their best conversations around the dinner table about business Mm. with their kids in tow, you know. And Mm -hmm. And I think it taught me that, you don't have to demark things. In yeah, fact, it puts yeah. more stress on you as a working mom to think, I should be over by seven o'clock because, you know, that's my kid's time. Mm-hmm. I'm not one of those people anyway. I'm not mm-hmm. judging people that are, but I, I'm, I'm not. Mm-hmm. And what have you learned, do you think, from... That's quite a contrary attitude because I think mm-hmm. Trish and I have been through phases where we felt we wouldn't, shouldn't really mention our children at work. You know, I asked for a nine-day fortnight and it was almost unheard of. And that was in women's mm-hmm. magazines. I know. <laughs> What have you learned about asking for those things that women need? You know, you can only ask that if you're willing to be dedicated and you're really good at what you do. I mean, yeah. I was quite in shock when I came back to England and the maternity leave is very long. I felt quite very, you know, because in America you get, if you're lucky, you get six weeks. Yeah. I, t- I took one week with my son, oh. one week. Because I had my own company. Who was going to do that? As working women, you know, you, you've got to make others know your worth as well and my boss realized that without him involving Harry in our dinners and our trips stuff like that that he didn't have me but I did almost pretend I didn't have one when I first went into Lord of Lorraine I mean I I was like that 
movie, if anybody's ever seen it, with Michelle Pfeiffer, One Fine Day. You know, mm, yeah. Harry was wet in the bed. I, I'd be up. I'd, jump, I'd have to get to work and, and sit there in this massive power meeting in the 40th floor of the GM building and pretend I didn't have a child, you know. So it was that switch on, switch off. But I think the more confidence I got about me, my contribution to that company, the more I could ask a little bit more, you know. And having my own company now, my key people are key to me. So in a small company, when you start your own business, if one of those people wasn't there for a period of time, you almost can't afford to replace that person. So moving into kind of midlife territory, at 51, you decided to take a gap year, which we find really interesting. Now, obviously, financially, you were in a position Mm -hmm. to do that. But given Mm -hmm. everything you've said about career, your drive, your living it, that seems like quite an interesting choice to make at that time. What was going on then that prompted you to do that? I'd sold Saint-Tropez and I'd made my first big chunk of money for myself. I wasn't very well and I didn't know why. And I'd, I'd gone through a lot, actually, so talking about sort of menopausal things, but mm. Perry, I think, as well. I just was exhausted. And, and I think my adrenals had been so high for so long yeah. that, you know, I thought if I don't do this, I'm going to get really ill. Mm. So I, I tried to take some time off when I'd left Estee Lauder in London before I went into taking on the role of CEO of, of Saint-Tropez and I couldn't do it. I kept sitting in front of my computer and, you know, trying to <laughs> cobble something together, but I was ready this time. And I thought if I'm going to do it because I couldn't do it last time, I'm going to do it properly. I'm going to disconnect from fashion mm-hmm. and beauty. And I'm going to, I love, I'm going to just cook. I'm going to be present. I'm going to be there for my kids, but also kind of be a bit of a teenager so that, you know, sometimes I'd be lying on the sofa when everybody got in and they'd say, what's for dinner? I'd say, I don't know. I, I mean, <laughs> but giving myself permission to read a book in the day was the hardest thing mm. I've ever done since I was like a teenager, really. Mm-hmm. Talk us through your perimenopause then, because I know you were one of the first people to talk to me when I said, I don't know what's happening here. I'm go- I think I'm going a bit mad. And you mm. said, you're not. This is probably perimenopause. Go and see your doctor talk about HRT. So how were you aware of it? And when did it start? Tell me your journey on that. Well, I think, to be honest, I had, if we're, if we're women to women here, when I left my big job, my son, who I had uprooted from the States and, and moved back to London at 13, decided he wanted to go back and live there. So he left. I'd had two miscarriages. I got really, really depressed. I got some help for that. And then I think that was when all my body started changing and I didn't know what was happening either. And I think doctors always say, oh, oh you're depressed. You know, here's yeah. a... And I started to do some research and I, I always love my friends that are a bit older than me. Yeah. They go, ah, oh, aha, you know, here you yes. go. And the book I think I gave you, Christine yeah. Northrup, she gave to me and then I've passed it on <laughs> to you, you know. And I read this book and I was like, oh my God. It makes sense. Know, yeah. It makes sense. And so that's when I started taking my health, my hormones and educating my husband. I've made him read that book, you know, it's my hormones, I'm not going <laughs> They can't really understand at all, can they? No, because it's almost like an overnight change. And it's not that you just don't feel good. It's your personality changes. Mm. And I think that's the confusing thing for GPs, isn't it? Yeah, it seems to go on for bloody ever, man. (laughs) 
I think we have to tell our kids it does, yes. doesn't just go, oh, I was menopausal, now I'm not. You know, it's, it's yeah. just <laughs> what is better is I know what I'm dealing with and therefore I kind of adjust myself and my yeah. health a little bit mm-hmm. for that, and my behavior. And I also advise people if you're having a bad day and you've got a really important meeting or anything in that day try and move it yeah because you can react really differently to mm-hmm. challenge or mm-hmm. you know I just think we have to really fold into our lives yeah you know the, these feelings as well I'm not yeah, denying them. absolutely I think if you if you've got brain fog it's not the day to be having a as you say like a big meeting no. or doing you know doing something important so we still for John don't we that's the problem we mm. still go oh, oh yeah we can get through this and sometimes yeah. just now I've realized you just can't with menopause mm-hmm. you just can't get through it you know you mm-hmm. just have to give into it I think mm-hmm. sometimes you've taken on a huge project during this time as well with the launch of your absolutely gorgeous and amazing fragrance brand Floral Street. How did that idea come up? I sold Saint-Tropez to Pisa Cousins and they own Sanctuary Spa and I put a beauty division together for them. And so I was going to the Sanctuary Spa for meetings and stuff a lot and it was on Floral Street and I just mm-hmm. literally looked up and thought that's a great name for a a fragrance brand and and instead of doing nothing about it or giving that idea to somebody else I registered it globally around the world for beauty but then I didn't do anything about it because I took my gap year so I wanted to really make sure that I wanted to stay in this world of, of beauty and not step out. Tell everybody about the concept we, we mentioned it briefly in your introduction but uh, it's, it's an interesting idea. I looked at the fragrance industry and I thought, oh my God, it is terrible. How old-fashioned is it? It expects a consumer to part with a lot of money for a cello-wrapped package. It tells women they need to have a celebrity to sell it to them. It's always a TV commercial. And I thought, I'm going to do it differently if I come back. And it's so affordable for such high quality. Yeah, well, that's what I'd learned from MAC. MAC was the brand of Mastige. It delivered high performance or still does I'm sure high performance for less price and it co- and I thought nobody's doing that in fragrance nobody's fine fragrance at an affordable price and a lot of people in my industry said are you mad you need to be charging you know 120 quid and I'm like that's not the idea this is about bringing some knowledge Mac could change the face of the makeup artist and you becoming your own artist as well and I, I, I really want to do this with Floral Street so it's about helping people understand about what they're smelling and the ingredients and being sustainable and being affordable mm-hmm. you know and we've got we've all got kids that are tutting at us when we're doing oh, yeah. quite right yeah. You, know? yeah. you very kindly sent us some lovely products and Esme opened it and she was like this packaging is amazing it's really good it's not wasteful <laughs> she, she was all over it oh, really I all over that. it so I, I think yeah it's, you're very ahead of the curve in terms of how that generation is thinking for sure that's been challenging being ahead of the curve it's hard to have people understand where you're coming from. And three years ago, when we launched this, I could hardly get any, but thank you, Lorraine, you were the one that saw Mm -hmm. and wrote about it, but everybody was still in the past. And now what's happened is I'm so proud. We're being copied now. Yeah, I know. But also it's just that we've got, Every retailer in America, an e-tailer, wants us, and the business is growing. This, you know, group of women from here doing things differently. 
only I wanted around the world because we, we we trusted in the idea I had, you know. Mm-hmm. You're very good at future trend spotting. So you're always sort of trusting your instinct that it's right. So and it's persuading everyone else to believe that before they before you know it's right. So what what's coming up next? What is the future trend for Michelle Feeney? Oh, that's interesting. Well, we're building a lot the business. I'm layering on lots of new products, learning more about sustainability and how we can fold that in. I don't know, something's fueled me up, Lorraine, now. I feel I'm like, you know, what I do want to do, future, future, I absolutely love working with young adults and and inspiring them and helping Mm -hmm. them know it's okay to not have a plan or helping them get on their journey. And I'm, I'm hoping I can do more of that as things grow and I can afford to put more people in to the the company I would love to think I can focus on doing some more of those things and looking back on this you know you did say earlier like sometimes I do look back and think wow is there anything you would have done differently of course (laughs) we'd have all done differently but um but not really you see because Mm. I think everything that I don't regret it's what a wasted energy regret is you know I mean it's gone what I do try and do is look back and learn you know Mm. I, I should have known more about my finances uh if I was that person that kept analyzing everything I wouldn't have taken all those risks I wouldn't have got on a plane and moved to New York for you know, just because yeah. you know, with 600 quid in my pocket. And best piece of business advice, you've, you've already sort of said it shouldn't be a hobby. Any other kind of tips you think? Yes, actually. I think I'm very lucky. So I, I was a startup, but I had 35 years experience mm. in what I did, right? So I yeah. could shortcut myself. So I, I would just say to people, you know, it's hard work. Don't be afraid to make mistakes. That's the only way you learn. I always ask myself, what would I lose if I do this? Mm-hmm. And if I can live with what I would lose, then I'll do it. Mm-hmm. So that it might be the roof over your head. I, wouldn't, I would never risk that. You know, I, I, The only way you do sort of learn is to make a few mistakes. And the other thing, don't get all caught up in this digital world where everything's going fast it's still about a good idea being executed Mm. really well I think they should have you on Dragon's Den I think you're the next Dragon's (laughs) Den that's a very good idea that could be the next the next chapter of your life Michelle TV career in my spare time yeah (laughs) oh you can do podcasting because quite frankly if we can do it anybody can do it Right. Oh, thank you so so much oh, I think okay. your words are going to be incredibly inspiring for people because I think you really sum sum it up that you know you've got to follow your instinct and you've got to work really hard and the only person responsible for it really is you that's, 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 the, that's the deal isn't it so thank yeah. you so much for coming oh, on thank you I wish I was having an actual cup of coffee with you yeah. wouldn't, that anyway? wouldn't that be nice oh thanks Michelle <laughs> So welcome to the How to Win at Midlife part of the show. Now, Trish, I am so excited about getting dressed again, getting dressed up, as it were, that I can barely contain it. So I bought myself a stripy red T-shirt this morning and I'm just excited and I haven't even even got it yet. Oh, right. Ordered it online. What a surprise. Stripes are back again. The spring Darling. summer they're back but red <laughs> this time that sounds nice well without getting too anna winter about it stripes are always in so um where do we start with this this is your wardrobe spring clean mm. this is advice you can't get 
anywhere else given our backgrounds isn't it well yes because uh we're used to looking at the catwalk shows and then picking the big themes for those glossy magazines that we used to work on and using amazing pictures of uh, fabulous clothes but it's a bit trickier to do on a podcast isn't it because we're gonna have to be very good at describing so i mean how will our listeners know you are sat in front of me wearing all the latest spring 2021 trends which is uh, as i can see here a bralette under a crop top and what is now being referred to in the spring magazine star pages as the ridiculous shoe well they're just gonna have to yeah. imagine me in that get up aren't they mm. trish well um, i'm not obviously and those are the extreme ends of these new trends this season because reality is you won't see either of us wearing a bralette <laughs> outside of our own houses totally um, but there are some really lovely things coming through which i guess are a reaction to all the loungewear mm. that's dominated the last year or so mm-hmm. um Shall I talk you through the go three on. things that I'm going to go for mm-hmm. spring, summer, which I think everyone can benefit from? I'm going to go for fuchsia pink. Mm. Now, you may look at my Celtic colouring and think, mm. how can that woman wear no, fuchsia I pink? Think she has no blood pink, in her. Pink person yeah. is very good on you. Mm. It's, but fuchsia, it's that's good. bright, isn't it? That's yeah, very bright. Not very, like, very bright. Yeah. But I think it would be nice to have a fuchsia pink bag again does such a thing exist so the, it does and i know where to get one there are oh. some really nice ones on the outlet actually mm-hmm. there's a regina payo one around 140 quid there's a vanessa bruno one i like but mm-hmm. if you want pink as in clothing pink then zara h&m mango and actually ghost have got some fantastic really really bright pinks mm-hmm. So I should be wearing pink for all my multitude of appearances around the country. <laughs> outside the school gates. Outside the school gate, yeah. yeah. And the other thing I'm going to get, which is a very un-me thing, but it mm. is a very thing that is happening for spring, summer 2021, is I'm going to get a floral eider-down quilted jacket. What about that? <gasps> what? That sounds a bit Mary Berry. I don't know. Quilted Sorry. floral... <laughs> You just compared me to Mary Perry. Well, I, can, I don't know. That's who sprang to me. Yeah, go on. Just no, tell I me more because I don't know about this. Ah, kind of something. like a little kimono jacket. This yes. is something that's really difficult actually to get right because you yeah. can go a bit crafty, arty, geography teacher if you, oh, if you get it wrong right. from the 1970s. Okay. But anthropology has a really lovely one and it's that in-between jacket, isn't it? You can wear mm. it out and it's, you know, it's a classic spring thing and other stories has a really nice one and Cezanne which is a Mm -hmm. French brand which I absolutely love really reasonable have a really lovely one so have a look at those Toast and Hush have got some as Mm -hmm. well but just go for slightly more muted colours don't go jazzy as you would say Mm. don't don't go big bright colours because that will look like lunatic but so you just need to have tiny print mm-hmm. muted colors and they've got a sort of kimono feel so they tie um across the front the other thing i've got which is very sensible and normal and you'll like this and we both like this trish mm. is that there's a lot of dark denim yes so i want a dark denim shirt i ideally mm. want the gabriella hearst one which is 600 pounds <laughs> That would be a bit silly. Okay, that would be silly. Yes, there is a a Victoria Beckham one on the VB range for 116, which I think is worth investment. Yeah, yeah. But again, Suzanne have got some of those. Arquette have got some. And are you talking just like classic denim shirt? But it's no dark. dark. But no, very dark. The style of it is just your classic denim shirt. Yes. Yeah. I would have it done up. You'd have all done it right to the top. Top button done up. Yeah, I don't want to look like a country and western singer (laughs) from. Somewhere else. Part time job. I can't sing, can I? Yeah. You know that, don't you? <laughs> Theory have got some. Mm-hmm. Aline, A L I G N E, which is a really brilliant uh, 
online only brand have got some as well and actually it's also worth checking out my wardrobe hq where you can either rent mm. things or buy them mm-hmm. and obviously i am going to go for sailor chic because i do like a stripe <laughs> so i shall have the all the trousers are high-waisted and wide yes. there are some things i'm not going for this season the go trends are out there i'm not going for a maxi skirt because i'm a midget so that mm. would look ridiculous yeah. I won't be wearing a crop top or a bralette. <laughs> I'm walking away from black and white. There's a lot about yeah. that out there because I just think it's not the season for that. I'm not going to be putting any bows in my hair. <laughs> I find that childish, even though there are quite yeah. a lot of them. No, not over 40, I don't but think. But there are no. some very short skirts, Trish. Oh, yes, minis are back. Yeah, the mini Which is back. Which I know you like. Yeah, yeah, well... <laughs> You know, I was contemplating because I was quite partial to a mini, but obviously yes, the, the secret is you've got to wear good black tights, good tights. There's no yes. like, you you know, you can't have any leg on. <laughs> Not unless you're Helena Christensen. <laughs> it's a very long leg. Yes, a long hand. They're not minis on your knee, are they, Trish? They're sort of just above the knee. <laughs> mid-thigh, mid-thigh yeah. lengths, yes, exactly. What are you getting? What well, will you be buying? I'm not going super trends. I'm going more just for some kind of little individual pieces um, in the wardrobe because I feel like I need to get back out there and, and then maybe kind of work it out. But um, I, I quite like these statement collar knits. Have you seen yeah. them? It's like a car- lovely little knitted cardigan. And then it's got this big mad kind of, it's almost like imagine your, your grandma's doilies that she had on her her table sort of around the collar like you going stage of fashion intervention before you leave the house before have you got a mirror well, by actually, the front door well that's the thing it does look very nice and i saw a really nice one on and other stories for about 95 pounds and they styled it tucked into the jeans yeah. so tucked in knitwear i thought that's interesting i might have a go at that sounds quite good puff Push sleeves i love a puff sleeve and actually i was quite grateful for the whole dressing top half dressing because I think I've always been a bit of a top half dresser not going out with nothing on the bottom but tending to do all my like pussy bow blouse and puff sleeves and things like that up top and color and pattern and things so that's the thing that really really works for me and it's still a very much I think there's two ways to go with them there's some lovely nice tailored shirts with oversized sleeves from cos or if you just want very pretty girly fabrics prints anthropology I know you've mentioned that already but they great blouses and I'm really pleased no more skinny jeans we have talked about jeans before but definitely no more skinny jeans it's all about straight legs and I was talking to actually a personal stylist called Prue White who said that her secret recommendation is the Arquette jeans they're 69 pounds and she says they're absolutely brilliant so um well they're some are high-waisted yeah they're not there's none of this low-rise business absolutely Absolutely not going to be doing any Stop muffin it. top. That's that those days are over. So high waisted, straight leg, sixty-nine pounds. I think that sounds quite good, doesn't it? Well, I think all of these things sound lovely. And I think the key is to look in your wardrobe and shop in outfits. Mm-hmm. That's that's the advice I was just look at what will it go with. Just yeah. think about that before you buy it, and where will you wear it? That's the other thing, and shop from your wardrobe as opposed to just bringing something in and then trying to make it match. There's a lot of good flat shoes actually out there, mm-hmm. which I think is here to stay. And then the other thing, because somebody on the Facebook group this week said I'm very short, nothing ever fits me, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And I said, well, just get it taken in then or taken Mm. up and I think people get a bit phased by that they think you've got to go to a tailor for that you haven't you just go to your local dry cleaner you pin it a bit and I do it with almost everything because my legs are so short (laughs) yeah 
Yeah, no, me you know, too. I just factor that in with trousers and think, okay, yeah. the, these trousers cost £120 and I'm going to have to spend another £15 having them. Yeah. So I kind of think about it in the cost of the item and everything. It's just, we just exactly. get used to it, don't we, being little shorties? Yes. <laughs> well, that brings us to the end of our short but sweet spring fashion roundup. So roll on summer and do let us know what you've bought and how it looks on our Facebook page. Right, we're stepping back in time again for our nostalgia noodle. And because mm. we're a bit silly, Trish, they tend mm. to be quite silly. So give me some silliness, Trish. I don't know whether it's silly or a bit boring, actually, because I was thinking back, it's <laughs> so a year, isn't me. it, since the first lockdown. And do you remember, well, Neil did this, got very excited, got all the board games out. Oh, it's the boring a board boy game. thing, isn't it? <laughs> I must win something. Like, right, we're going to play. We're going to play board games in lockdown. And so, you know, Monopoly, Cluedo. And then he tried to make this all for one he'd kept from his childhood called Escape from Cold Itz. <laughs> and it's <laughs> the most long overtones of people trapped in lockdown, oh quite frankly. <laughs> that really difficult game. And of course, I kind of thought, oh, read the box. It was actually designed by some real soldier, commando type people who had escaped from Cold Itz. <laughs> anyway, that got me thinking about one of my favourite board games from childhood. And I don't know whether you knew Strip this poker. one. No. Perfect for eight years. Scream in. Did you ever know Scream in? As in no. in, as in hotel. Oh my god, it was brilliant. We so, did play a lot of board games because my oh. mum was very anti-telly. <laughs> yes. Well, it was only telly or board games. And yeah. it was actually this was my sister's game, and it was kind of one of the only times she'd be nice to me was because she needed somebody to play oh, with. Her. <laughs> so, no, that's not fair. I love my sister. She was a bit harsh in those days. Your mission was to get out of the inn without getting caught by these little ghosts in these trap doors and oh, um, yeah <laughs> I, was just I like, feel like this might explain a lot on your psychiatry I know, bills and I just wished we'd had that instead of escape from cold it's a year ago that's all Look. I can say <laughs> What about you? Now. Well, you? my children during this time, my teenagers, have invented new meals in between meals. So right. there's breakfast, Snacks. lunch, dinner, brunch, and then there's something called sandwich time. Now, oh, okay. Right. Which is retro in itself because I kind mm. of remember coming home from school and my mum making a big crusty white bread mm. sandwich for me. And then it took me back to, do you remember Miracle Whip? Salad dressing. I, I do not. No, tell me about that. Well, what was that? Ghastly by the sounds of Heinz or Hellman's or something. Mm. And it was a kind of disgusting salad dressing. It was not mayonnaise, but not a salad, not salad oh. dressing. So it was okay. some awful in between thing called Miracle Whip. And you would put it on your sandwich, anything you mm. had in a sandwich, you would just put it on the sandwich. Mm-hmm. And we had a lot of that. It was very cheap. Um, and we also used to have salmon spread. Oh, gag. Yeah, gag. And they weren't really called spreads then. That was a bit posh a spread. They were called pastes. So you'd have a salmon paste sandwich in the 80s. I was thinking, what would children remember now? They would look back and say, do you remember my mum used to make me, well, avocados, I think they'd say. Avocados. Remember all the avocados we ate? Kit asked me to get from the supermarket the other day, and I I had to do a double take because he said, can I get some Perry mayonnaise? And I thought, he said, can you get me some Perry mayonnaise? Perry mayonnaise. Perry mayonnaise, yeah. Perry menopause. It's very similar. Sourdough, they'd say. Do you remember that awful sourdough? Sourdough. Chunks sourdough of bread. Avocados. Krispy Kreme donuts. They'll say, do you remember when we used to eat those donuts <laughs> covered in terrible things? <laughs> anyway, so bats. I went back to sandwiches. Mm. Yes, very good. 
Well, that brings us to the end of this episode of Postcards from Midlife. Thank you so much for listening. And if you enjoyed it, please tell your friends and all the midlife women you know. And remember to subscribe on your podcast provider and please rate and review us too. And for those who ask about all the things we mentioned in this podcast, we put all the details on our private Facebook group. Yes, so don't forget to join us on there. And you can also join us on Instagram or email us at hello at postcardsfrommidlife.com. Goodbye. Bye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.